This morning, I am going to present an offering, musical offering, entitled, How Can I Keep From Singing? How many of you have heard that hymn or song before? A couple hands. I hadn't heard it until I was in high school at a music or a, um, an honors choir concert. And this really struck me. The words are just an amazing, amazing message talking about no storm can shake my inmost calm. This is the chorus. While to that rock I'm clinging, since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? So no matter what you're going through, no matter what is going on in the world, we know we can hold on to Jesus Christ, that rock, and we can keep on singing. My life flows on in endless song of love, earth's lamentation. I catch the sweet, though far off hymn that hails a new creation. No storm can shake my So much, Matt, for that beautiful song. Our scripture for meditation this morning comes to us from the book of Luke, St. Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to be reading verse 34 in your hearing. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May God add his richest blessings to the reading and the hearing of his word.
Morning, church. Morning. You bow your heads with me real quick um, before we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning for the gift of a new day, and we thank you for the blessings that you give us, um, whether they be gifts of talent, whether they be gifts of um, joy, the gifts of all the things we have around us, or the money that you provide to us to be able to live and to um, be able to uh, do the things that we need to do. And Father, as we um, focus on the topic of money this morning, I just ask that you would bless our time together, that you would bless our, our talk, and that you would help each one of us to better understand um, the spirit with, it, with which you want our hearts to be filled when it comes to this topic. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Matt, thank you for the special music, and Julie, thank you for playing for us. We appreciate it. Um, it's always interesting, I, think, I feel like I say this every time I get up and speak, but it's always interesting how the special music, which is not coordinated at all, our special music committee or our music committee just asks different people to have our special musics, but at least I, maybe the other speakers do, I don't ever contact the person doing special music and say, hey, I'm preaching about this topic, can you think of something for that? Um, and you might not think that what Matt preached necessarily ties to money, because we're going to talk a little bit about money today. But the whole core of the message of that song was contentment. It's talking about how when Christ is our Savior, when we have him, we can't keep from singing. We're full of joy, and um, that, that contentment really will touch on, on that theme kind of several times throughout the message today. So it's really cool when that stuff ties together. It always makes me smile a little bit. Um, the core of the message today is taken from a, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the website Tithely. It's tithe.ly. Um, but there was a, a post that they put on there, an article that they put up about generosity and about practical principles um, relating to money. And um, that article is much longer than what I'm going to speak on today, and hopefully I'll be fairly brief. Um, I'm, I'm sure we're going to run a little bit past noon, but not too bad, hopefully. Um, but um, if you want to read the, the full article, I can certainly let me know, and I can certainly share it with you. Um, the title of the article is Generosity, Bible Verses About Money, Nine Practical Principles That You Need to Know. And the article was originally written by Jesse Wisniewski. I've altered it a little bit and, and changed some things uh, to adapt for a sermon type of format, but um, that's kind of the, the basis of it. How many of you ever, uh, oh, I think it was back in 96, this was when I was in high school, just after I got out of high school, I graduated in 94, um, does anybody remember the movie Jerry Maguire? Anybody ever seen that movie? I see a, a few nods. Um, I don't remember the full plot line of the movie. Uh, I did see it years and years and years ago. But I remember um, the, the main character was a sports agent named Jerry Maguire, and he had a, um, an epiphany. or a, He came to a conclusion that his business, the business he was in, was kind of corrupt and how it was being run. And so he tried to um, send him, he wrote a letter to all of the people in his sports agency about how they should change how they do business, and he got fired. <laughs> but he took, he, he managed to retain one player and, and took that player with him away from the agency that he was with. And this, this player that stayed with him was in a, a free agency year. So I don't know if you guys know how that, that works, but in, it was a football player, and in, in football, players have a, or, or in all sports, players have a contract that lasts for a certain period of time. And they hope that they play well through that contract, and especially well towards the end, because then they can get a big new contract to continue playing. And in the movie, there's a scene, that was kind of the case with this, this player, I think his name was Rod Tidwell. Um, but that's, the, that's kind of the case in the movie, as it was, it's going through this, this um, the movie, the the football player is at the end of his contract, and he's in line to get a new contract. So it's really important that he doesn't get hurt and that he plays well. And there's a that's kind of just the backstory. But there was a scene in the movie where Jerry is on the phone with Rod, trying to convince him to stay with him as an agent, and 
Rod says to Jerry, makes Jerry say to him, they get into this back and forth over the phone, screaming at each other, show me the money! <laughs> right? So the whole thing was, Rod was, it was very important to Rod that he get a big contract because he wanted to be able, it, this was like his payday that he could then take care of his family and his parents and all his extended family and whatever, so it was very important to him to get this. And so I thought of that when I was thinking about the sermon this morning, and so that's where the title of the sermon, Show Me the Money, kind of came from. Um, a little bit humorous, but uh, anyways, that's, that's where that came from. So uh, Bible verses about money and nine practical principles that you need to know. Did you know there's roughly 2,000 Bible verses that either talk about money or possessions? And from those, we've kind of boiled down to get to these nine practical principles. So money, 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 money. Think about that. Think about money. You think about it, you work for money, you save for money, you spend money, you give money, you tithe money. You may stress over money. Even though money isn't an essential thing in your life, a significant portion of your life will revolve around earning, saving, giving, spending, and spending money. So your relationship with money isn't something that you can just brush aside as an um, unspiritual or unnecessary. And to help you manage your money well, we've looked at all these different Bible verses about money and money management, and we've tried to, um, and money trouble, and tried to see what God has to say about this critical piece of our life. Today we're going to address these three big topics. One, what is money? Two, why does the church talk so much about money? And three, um, what does the Bible say about money? So that's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Number one, what is money? Well, in short, money is just a medium of exchange. It's just a way that we, a tool that we have, it's an agreed upon medium of exchange, agreed upon way or thing that we have to make a purchase or a trade or to pay off debt. The medium of exchange will differ in many countries, and what is more, the use of money makes it a whole lot easier to get what we need because instead of having to swap our chicken or our dog or, or something like that for a box of cereal, we can just use money to exchange, right? It's just a way to be able to get the things that we need. There's one important thing that we need to think about or, or realize with money. It's amoral. Do you know what that means when we say something is amoral? Money doesn't have a life. It can't act on its own. It cannot do good deeds, and it cannot commit crimes. It's basically neither good nor bad. That's what it means to be amoral. It's not good or bad. It's just a thing. Money can only do what you tell it to. Money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. That's from 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. If the concept of money is so simple, and it doesn't have any power emanating from its core, drawing it to us, us to it, then why would we sweat over money so much? Why does the church talk so often about money? These are great questions, which leads to the next point. There are two good reasons why the church talks so often about money. First, the reason the church talks about money is because God talks about money quite frequently. Consider this. 16 out of the, out of the 38 of Jesus' parables deal with money and possessions. That's almost half. Nearly a quarter of, the, of Jesus' words in the New Testament deal with biblical stewardship. And one out of every ten verses in the Gospels deals with money. There are more than 2,000 scriptures on tithing, money, and possessions in the Bible, which is twice as many as there are on faith and prayer combined. Many verses in the Bible talk about money, and for good reasons, too. Which leads to the next point. Money is frequently discussed in the Bible because there's a direct correlation between the way that we handle our money and our faith. When it comes to money, we will either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. So let me read that again because it's important. We will either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. There's a big difference between the two. From the seduction of success to the lure of lust, many things in this world will vie for your affection and your devotion. 
But the most significant idol you will face is money. God desires our devotion, and he knows that you will come face to face with with the temptation of money, which is why he speaks so often about it. Money itself may be amoral, not immoral, amoral, but it's our attachment to and our worship of money that will lead us into sin and making poor financial decisions. In the words of Jesus, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We read that in our scripture this morning from Luke 12, 34. So let's start with nine principles about money that you can conclude from the review of the scriptures about money. First, God owns everything. Second, money is a tool. Money is about discipleship or stewardship. Three, worship with your money. Four, get that money. Five, fight for contentment. Six, kill greed in your heart. Seven, be mindful of debt. Eight, manage your finances. And nine, mow money, mow problems. So what the Bible has to say about money isn't limited to these nine principles that I just covered. Remember, there are roughly 2,000 Bible verses that are about money and possessions which means there are way more nuances talked about in the Bible than just these nine. I'm just saying that these nine principles appear to be the most important or most prominent. So let's talk about them. Number one, God owns everything. God doesn't talk about money because he's broke or he needs a helping hand. Far from it. God owns everything. Exodus 19.5. And since God is the rightful owner of everything we have, this means that the money that we actually earn belongs to God. Practically speaking, God calls us to manage the money we accumulate on his behalf. This is the essence of biblical stewardship. In Exodus 19.5, he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for, the, for all the earth is mine. In Job 4, 11, he says, who has, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole of heaven is mine. Psalms 24, 1, he says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And in 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 5, it says, Who forbid marriage and requires abstinence from fruits that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth? For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So number two, money is about discipleship, or money is a tool. Money is a tool that God uses to help us live and love like Jesus. So I can give you another example of something that's a tool, right? Um, my phone, this little, we call them smartphones. This is a tool, right? It's amoral. It's not good or bad. It's just a tool. It's something that we have. And it's funny that we don't think about how much we use something. This week when I was at the airport, I, was, I had ordered a, a ride from the airport down to the thing through Uber. Who here knows what Uber is? If you travel a fair amount, you probably know what it is. Uber is just like a taxi service, except that you can order it specifically on your phone, so they send the ride right to you. You get in and you go. Well, I was at the airport. I had my phone in my hand. I was looking at the, I had ordered my Uber, and I was looking at the license plate number because I was in the pickup area, so there's tons of cars coming through there. And I wasn't paying attention. So I looked at my phone, and I saw the car that I was supposed to go to. I started to walk to it, had my head kind of down, There was a safety cone, and I moved to kind of go away from that safety cone, but what I didn't look close enough to see was that that safety cone was next to something that had a safety post that was fastened to the ground that's supposed to be there to guard the cars, right, to keep the cars from coming in. That had been bent over, so it was laying on the ground like that long, sticking out. I caught my toe on it. Mm. Backpack on, everything face down, smashed my phone, I mean, obliterated it. Um, thankfully did not hurt myself. My knees are a little sore still, not bad. Um, and got a tiny little cut on my nose and a little one on my hands. But other than that, I didn't, didn't hurt myself. Praise the Lord. Could have been much, much worse. Um, 
But I was without my phone for several days because I had to order a new screen and then put the screen on my phone so that I could use my phone again because it was, it was smashed. Well, I had Uber in my phone. I use it to order food sometimes. I use it as a map to get around when I go to do stuff. I get my mail in my phone. People get a hold of me. I had like 10 texts when I got my phone back that I hadn't been able to answer. You know, all these different things. It's just a tool, Right? It's a tool that we use, and it's a helpful tool, and my phone can be used for bad things, right? I can waste a lot of time on there. I can play games on my phone. I can do all kinds of stuff that is not necessarily a good thing. I can use it for good or bad. Money is the same. It's the same kind of thing. Money is just a tool that God uses to help us live and love like Jesus. Regardless of how much or how little money that we have, God is at work in our life through our circumstances. He is leading us to a deeper trust in him. And this is exactly what we see in Philippians 4, 11, and 12, where it says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, the abundance and and need. So are you struggling financially? Are you swimming in financial abundance? Regardless of your situation, instead of asking why, like why am I struggling, or just saying thanks, be sure to ask God what you can learn since there is a connection between your faith and your money. What is God trying to teach you with the situation that he's put you in? Regardless of of that, Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Luke 12.34 tells us, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And Luke 16.11 and 12 says, If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will, you, will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give to you that which is your own? The Bible also talks to us about worshiping with our money. In the Bible, verses about putting our hope in money, and with, excuse me, in Bible verses about putting our hope in money, we're going to come across a ton of warnings. Be careful. Guard your heart. Don't be a fool with your money. If you're not careful, it can be easy to place your hope in money instead of in Christ. Money is something that we can hold in our hands. It's a physical thing. We can look at it in our bank account. We can feel the weight of its absence or possess a sense of self-sufficiency when we have it in abundance. See, when it comes to money, wealthy people are not the only ones who are tempted to sin. Regardless of how much money you have, you will be tempted to sin in different ways. Instead of placing your hope in money or whatever generates income, place your hope in Christ. See, he owns everything, as we just talked about. And he will provide you with what you need to live for him. Check out these Bible verses about putting your hope in money. 1 Samuel 2.7 says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, and he exalts. Mark 4, 19 tells us, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Proverbs 11.28 says, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous shall flourish as the green leaf. And Luke 12.15 says, He said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So I think it's important to to point out, we're talking about people who are both wealthy and not wealthy, right? There's nothing inherently evil in wealth. 
It's not money that's evil. We talked about this. Money's amoral. You can be well-off or not well-off. You could be struggling financially or you could be, be very well-off. And it's not about whether you're one or the other. There's no more holiness in being poor than there is in being rich. It's about where your heart is at, whatever state you're in, wherever you are on the financial spectrum. Which brings us to point number four, the fight for contentment. It's difficult to be content with yourself, with your work, with your family, and with your possessions. We are bombarded constantly with a slew of messages and images everywhere we go that entice us to pursue something better. From wanting a new car, to getting a bigger house, to coveting a promotion at work, the world we live in compels us to be dissatisfied with who we are and what we have. Discontentment may not sound like a big deal on the surface, but it's a subtle sin that leads us to desiring more or something different, yet it leaves us lacking and empty-handed in the end. See, living in a state of discontentment can tempt you to take on unnecessary debt, could tempt you to cheat on your spouse, or to make an unwise decision at work in an attempt to get ahead. Contentment is more than just being happy with who you are or what you have. Contentment is rooted in God's love for you. It's learning to be satisfied wholly in Christ, regardless of whether you have a little or a lot of money. In Bible verses about contentment, we learn two essential truths. One, you have to fight for contentment. And two, you can be content. See, in the fight for contentment, God will empower you to obtain this mysterious and elusive virtue. It's not something beyond your reach. In the words of the Apostle Paul, I can do all all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. So there are a few Bible verses about contentment to help you fight for contentment. Job 36.11 says, If they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. Psalms 36.16 and 17 says, better is, the little that the righteous, better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Second Corinthians twelve nine and 10 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For am I, when I am weak... Then I am strong. First Timothy 6, 6 through 12 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from faith, the faith, and pierced themselves with many pangs. So again, I want to point out the distinction in there and what that text is saying. The text is not saying it's bad to be rich. It's not saying it's bad if you have a lot. And I, I guess the reason I keep pointing this out is because my entire life growing up, that was how I felt like the church talked about money. I always had this perception that it was like bad or that there, there was just this tone of how money was talked about, how wealth was talked about in the church that was always as if wealth was a bad thing. And it's funny because if you look at the Bible... Some of the, the most prominent characters in the Bible were very wealthy. Look at Job and the story of him and what happened with him. Look at Abraham. Look at David. Look at Solomon. Look at all these characters all throughout. And that doesn't mean that, that, that if, it doesn't actually mean that if we love God and have a good relationship with him that we're just going to be wealthy, right? That's not what I'm saying. But this, this whole text is talking about a heart matter. 
It's not talking about whether it's good or bad to be wealthy. It's talking about where your heart is in the desire for wealth, right? It says, if we have food and clothing and these will be content, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So it's that desire. If you have this desire, if you're placing the want for money above your relationship with Christ, you're going to pursue that at all, to all ends. That's your most important thing. You're going to make some bad decisions. That's all that text is saying. So where are you at in, in how you live your life? Where is your heart at? Continuing on, it says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of, the etern- of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, we just talked about how desiring money, the desire for money, if you're placing money as an idol, as a thing above Christ, your desire for him, that's a bad thing, right? So now we go into principle number five where we're talking about getting money. <laughs> so, again, there's a, a fine point or distinction here that you need to understand. It's, it's how and why we're going after something. The Bible does not tell us to not work. The Bible does not disdain wealth. Okay, we, we are to work. If we're able to work, God calls us to work. Work for our families to provide for them. We're called to that. We're called to work to help spread the word of Christ. Right? And, and for some of us, our work may be that we work and, and gain wealth and use that wealth to help further the works of the church, right? That may be how we witness for Christ in, for some of us because Christ put us in that position. There are many scriptures about work, but in short, here's what you need to know. In general, you need to work to earn money. Seems kind of basic, right? Some people are unable to work for different reasons, whether it's an illness or physical handicap, they may be unable to obtain gainful employment. To support the people who are unable to provide for him or herself in general, God has provided three different layers of support. The family, the church, and the state. And without getting into the details about the biblical view of wealth and poverty, we do find many examples and commands in the Bible verses about money and taking care of the poor, the widow, and the orphans. Now on the other side of this coin, we also observe many examples and commands in the Bible encouraging Christians to work diligently. Since we are created in the image of God, we are hardwired to work, to create. And what is more, God has commanded us to work. When it comes to God's command to work, it was given before sin even entered the world and the human heart. Work is rooted in God's good created order. There are many positive benefits associated with gainful employment. However, since sin has entered the world, we will be tempted to work, to worship work, to make it our God. We'll be tempted to reject work and become lazy or to twist work into doing something sinful. In Christ, God redeems work. Revelation 19.16 says, He took the thorns and thistles we work among. I'm sorry, Genesis 1.18 says that. He took the thorns and thistles it talks about in Genesis 1.18. And in Revelation 19.16 it says, He wore a crown of thorns on his head as a reminder that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Practically, this means that through faith in Jesus, we will be empowered to glorify God in our work, and for the good of others. There are some verses about providing for the poor and working hard for your money, and there were many verses listed with this, and I cut a bunch out just in the interest of time, Um, but here's a few of them. Exodus 22, verse 25. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like the money lender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. Deuteronomy 24.20 says, When you beat your olive trees, you shall, go, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. So it's interesting. If you look back at biblical times, the, the people who, the, the wealthy landowner or the, the farmer, 
they harvested their crops, but they didn't harvest every single bit. They left some, and the people who were poor or weren't doing as well, under their own work, their own volition, would come in behind and glean to get the extra grain. Remember the story of Ruth? Or to get the, the things from the trees. So even for those who maybe weren't able to hold down a full-time job in that situation, they still did the work that they could to provide for themselves. Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whomever gathers little by little, it will increase. Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Acts 20.35 says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, he, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. We talked about that in our children's story this morning. Galatians 6.5 says, For each will have to bear his own load. 1 Timothy, Timothy 5, 3-10 says, Honor the widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return for their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayer night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead, even as she, while she lives." Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, and having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children and has shown hospitality and has washed the feet of the saints and has cared for the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through these cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So we read a part of that before. I think the, it's very important for us to remember the call to take care of our family, right? We're call, if we're able to work, we're called to work to be able to take care of our family, to help take care of our parents. And we see many examples of that, and that's a good thing. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from, this is from 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 14. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord to the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, it is not because we do not have the, that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busyness at work, but busy bodies. Now such, a, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Number six, kill greed in your heart. Who is a greedy person? Just picture in your mind, who do you think of when you think of a greedy person? Is it a politician? How about the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company? Athletes? Musicians? Actors or actresses? Are they greedy? Regardless of what image comes to your mind, here's the one thing that you need to know about greed. It's not good, and you'll have to fight it off all of your life. Greed is bad, and and it's something that every single one of us will have to fight. In the words of the Apostle Paul, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. I don't think we often associate greed in context as the same as those others. We tend to rank sins on what we consider to be worse or better. It's listed right in there in that same sentence. There's a good chance you probably don't think you have a greed problem, but let me ask you these questions. Are you satisfied with how much money you make? Do you want to purchase more things? 
Does your desire for more money and possessions choke out your interest in God? See, in life, in the presence of the presence of greed will come in waves, which is why it's good to keep your finger on the pulse of your heart and kill the presence of sin in your life with the antidote of the gospel. Proverbs twenty eight twenty five says, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Number seven, be mindful of debt. There's a good chance that you have financial debt. How can I make such a bold statement? Well, it's easy. According to research, the total household debt in the United States in 2017 was $13.15 trillion. So there's a good chance that you have some debt. Since debt is so common in the United States and the leading cause of financial stress, it's essential to get God's perspective on debt so that you can best manage your finances. So what does the Bible say about debt? After you review the Bible verses about debt, you'll discover three principles. One, God does not forbid debt. Two, God does highly caution against debt. And three, taking on debt is generally a bad thing. So even though God doesn't forbid debt, you still want to be cautious when you consider taking debt. It's also a good idea to seek the advice of a financial advisor or godly counsel to speak into your financial situation. If you are in debt, not including your mortgage, prayerfully consider the steps that you can take to get out of debt as soon as possible, especially when it comes to paying off credit cards. Ecclesiastes 5.4 says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in, pool, in fools. Pay what you vow. Proverbs says, 6, 1 through 5, and this is a favorite verse of mine. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, or my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. You guys ever seen uh, the National Geographic video of a gazelle and a cheetah where the cheetah's prowling up on the gazelle and gets close and then takes off to go get him and the gazelle sees him and takes off running? They're just running and running. That's what God's telling you to do with debt. You're the gazelle. The cheetah is debt. Run! Run like a gazelle from the hands of the hunter. Be very careful with debt. And if you get into debt, do everything you can to get out of debt. Tells us the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender in Proverbs 22.7. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed and revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except love for each other. For the one who loves, one, loves another has fulfilled the law. Romans, 17 verse, or Romans 13, 7 and 8. Number eight, manage your money. Now, wouldn't it be nice if there was one Bible verse about money management that would deliver you from all of your financial worries? I think that'd be nice. I wish there was something that I could share with you, but that isn't the case at all. To manage your money, there are two steps you need to take. One, make a plan, and two, work your plan. First, you need a plan. Your financial plan, in your financial plan, you need to answer the following four questions. One, what's your total income? Two, how, um, how much do you need to tithe? Three, what are your monthly expenses and debt repayments? And four, how much money do you need to save and invest? After you know your income and expenses, there are four more questions you should consider. One, what can I do to reduce cost? Two, how much more money can you pay towards your debts? Three, can you give more money to your church or a nonprofit organization? And four, how can you save more money? See, taking these steps will help you make a plan. And there are many free personal budget templates that you can find online to guide your efforts. Secondly, after you make a plan, you have to work that plan. For this step, you have to look in the mirror and realize that there is no one else in your life 
who can take responsibility for your financial situation. You have to pay your bills. You have to give to your church. You have to fight the temptation to accumulate more debt. Like with many things, the, the analogy that I've always heard, to, heard about this when it, when it comes to personal discipline, the problem is the person you shave with in the morning, mirror every morning. <laughs> you got to make that guy behave. If you can make that guy behave, then you're going to be in much better shape. Thankfully, we are not left alone in our decisions. We can find forgiveness for poor financial choices in Christ, and we can be hopeful that he will help us to get out of our financial troubles. Ecclesiastes 7.12 says, For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Proverbs 3.9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then will your barns be filled with plenty and your vats be bursting with wine. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of the fool is deceiving. And in Luke 14.28-30, this is one I think that we're all familiar with, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Lastly, in number nine, mo' money, mo' problems. See, we're prone to worry about money, which makes perfect sense. From the increase in the cost of living to taking on too much debt to unexpected expenses, there are a ton of reasons why we may feel anxious about our financial situation. Naturally, to resolve our situation, the first thing many of us do, including myself, is to think about making more money. If I could only get a raise... It would be awesome if I scored that sweet promotion. Wouldn't it be nice to have a high-paying side hustle? These are the thoughts that may go through, go through your mind from time to time. Though I'm not advocating, or there, there was one more in here that I missed. I'd love to score big on the lottery one day. <laughs> so I'm not advocating gambling. But these are a lot of the thoughts that could go through your mind from time to time. But here's the deal about making more money. Acquiring more money may not fix your financial problems. We were just talking about the guy in the mirror and making him behave. If you, ha- if you don't figure that out now, and then you later get a bunch of money, if you, if you haven't made that guy behave, well, he's just going to get you into bigger problems because he's got more to work with to get you into those problems, right? According to Rich- Richard Watts, the author of Fable and Fortune, more money may actually cause you more problems. Making more sounds good on the surface, and it may be the best course of action you can take, but it's not the silver bullet to every financial problem. To solve your financial problems, Bible verses about money worries encourage us to take the first step, to trust in the Lord. I know this sounds trite, but hear me out. Yes, you'll need to make a plan to curb your spending and to get out of debt, but the heart of your problem isn't your finances. The heart of your problem is whether or not you're worshiping money or worshiping with your money. Here's what we learn about God and our money from the Bible verses about money trouble. God will provide for you. God is aware of your financial situation. God will forgive you if you've made sinful financial choices. God doesn't want you to worry about money. God wants you to know that life is more about your relationship with God than it is about money. God wants you to seek him first before you go after more money. Today, if you've If you're feeling stressed about your financial situation, take a moment to read these few Bible verses about money worries. Just listen to these and meditate on them. Take a break and pray. 1 Chronicles 29 29 verse 14 says, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For for all things come from you and and of your own we have, get, have we given to you? Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Psalms 55.22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalms 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. 
Psalm 62.10 says, Put no trust in the extortion. Set no vain hopes of ro- on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Matthew 6.25-34 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet the heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? It's actually probably quite the opposite. The more you're anxious and worried, you're taking time off your life because it's not healthy for you. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So in closing today, I just want to run through our nine principles again. One, God owns everything. Two, money is a tool. It's about discipleship. Three, worship with your money. Four, work for your money. Five, fight for contentment. Six, Kill greed in your heart. Seven, be mindful of debt. Eight, manage your finances. And remember, number nine, mow money, mow problems. In closing, I just want to read Matthew 18, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light.